Everybody, welcome back to Tiki Tuesday Talks post Labor Day. Excited to be back with you here. We got a really great session ahead. Let's introduce the crew. Hey guys. Hello. Oh. Just introduce yourself and let us know where you're ringing in from. Hey, uh, it's Eva. <clears throat> oh, Alex, go ahead. All right. Uh, uh, this is Alex Day, and I'm coming to you from Portland, Maine. Portland, Maine. My sister's going there soon. It's a beautiful place. It's going to get cold real soon. <laughs> uh, I'm Steve. I'm in Birmingham where it is not cold. <laughs> so It was 109 here in Vegas yesterday. So <laughs> nope. Katie. Oh, you're muted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Katie Best. Uh, I'm in Richmond, Virginia, and it is very moderate here. Nice 80. Straight ahead moderate. Yeah. Aaron, you're in the call as usual. Coming from uh, the balmy Baltimore, Maryland, uh, and it's about 87 here, so it's perfect. Right on. Right on. Well, let's talk about what we're going to do today. So we are excited to have Alex Day, CEO at the company, author, doer of all things. We're going to talk about finding focus and creativity within limitations. So this is really going to be, you know, in general, the way to think about programs, costing, ideation, et cetera. But then also we can't ignore it. We're in the middle of a pandemic. So how does it relate with that? Some uh, just housekeeping, chat box and questions. If you guys are on Crowdcast. Uh, you can ask your questions. You can do the same via live. We'll get them. We'll try and interpret them and, and get them over to Alex. You can share the event in the top right. Tip jar, Venmo at Alexander-Paul-Day. Uh, if you want to support Alex in this time, it's much appreciated. Presentation, 30, 40 minutes. We're going to do a cocktail as usual. And then we've got five questions with Katie. So, Alex. Originally bartender in Deathico's early days, I'm sure you're going to get into that, became an owner in 2010. Uh, you've co-formed various businesses and partnerships with Dave Kaplan and Devin Tarby, including Proprietors LLC and notable bars such as Nightcap, Honeycut, The Normandy Club, The Walker Inn, Deathico Denver, and Los Angeles. Um, you've trained hundreds of bartenders, designed dozens of bars along the way, fallen in love with the process, because so we're going to really get nerdy here. Uh, focusing on operations, planning, logistics, process improvement, design, and systems. All the stuff I really, really love. Uh, just kidding. 
but <laughs> I'm glad that there are people that do. So without further ado, let's get you on here. Hello, awesome. sir. Hello, sir. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Here, we'll move on to this. Actually, let's swap to your deck. Boom, look at that. Awesome, nice, nicely done. Uh, great, well, thanks again for having me. Um, this is, you know, it's, it's funny, Pete and I were talking on the phone a few weeks ago about, you know, what to, what to chat about today. And, and we just started kind of riffing on everything that we've been doing that kind of behind the scenes in the last many, many uh, months for both of our businesses and, and how to like, maintain focus through something that's just so challenging. And um, I think that kind of, it seemed uh, that pretty much snowballed into to us putting this together, right, Pete? And, and kind of the genesis of the idea. Absolutely, absolutely. Just yeah. you know, really kind of tapping into this stuff that you've done for so long and then thinking about how, how it relates to now. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess, you know, I'd, I'd start with giving a, just a little bit of background about where we were um, prior to March 15th, um, which was our day where we decided um, that we weren't comfortable operating any longer. Um, I'm sure everyone has a little bit of PTSD or a lot of PTSD from, from that period, but um, that was the day that we decided, um, even though each of our cities hadn't quite made the call yet, uh, that we weren't comfortable operating. Um, and prior to that, we had had a really fantastic run and buildup of our, our company. You know, we started Death & Co in the East Village, uh, wow, um, almost almost 14 years ago now. And uh, I wasn't originally a partner there, um, as, as Pete was saying at the top of this. Um, I was a bartender and I was working down the street at some places after college and this bar opened. I, I, I fell in love with it, um, sat in front of Joaquin Simo, uh, if anyone has had the pleasure of doing so. And he kind of rocked my world and, and showed me a side of cocktails that were uh, so exciting. They weren't just, uh, you know, references to old recipes, um, but there was something kind of new and innovative and youthful about it. And uh, I vowed to work there. Eventually, I uh, was able to elbow my way into the Sunday night swing shift, um, which back in that day was just working solo. Um, and real, real brutal shift. Um, but Dave and I, my business partner now, Dave Kaplan and I, um, quickly found out we had kind of a shared vision for our future and, and what we wanted to do. And that was to, you know, grow um, this wonderful idea, this this nucleus that was the this in, I guess an energy that existed at Death and Co. in those early times. Um, which was full of just kind of like forward thinking evolution of, of, of pushing the craft of cocktails and the experience around that craft to uh, new levels. Um, and it was kind of like coming to work every day, recreating a playbook, um, which was super fun to be a part of. But, you know, following that, we, we started um, a consulting company and eventually did our first project without really having any idea what the hell we were doing um, down in Philadelphia called the Franklin Morgan. The yeah. Oh, yeah. Fake it till you make it. I believe is ought to be written somewhere in stone in our company, uh, at least a previous era of it. Um, For but sure. we, yeah, it, it was crazy back then. But it was also, again, that same energy of of pushing forward and and kind of figuring it out as we went um, in an industry that was, frankly, like if we're all honest, back then craft cocktail world was not necessarily mature. You know, if somebody like myself was like 23 years old and was able to reach a level within it, um, goes to show you how much uh, it had to grow and and really is a, an amazing reflection on where we're at in the industry today. 
Um, so, you know, after a while, Dave and I, we started this consulting company and we had a vision to move to Los Angeles um, and open a bar. Uh, I went to Thailand for about six weeks moving and the entire deal fell apart on my way out there. So basically landed without a project and- What, what got year to, is this? Uh, this would be 2010, I think. Hmm. Yep, that sounds about right. Yeah, so I, I previously had worked at Milk and Honey um, as you know, when I was young, I just seven nights a week, I'd work anywhere. Um, and they, you know, would throw me some, some shifts here and there. And so I got to meet a guy named Eric Alperin who owns the varnish out there. Um, and he gave me a gig right when I landed there, uh, I got to work at the bar, uh, at the varnish and, uh, met Devin Tarby, if anyone doesn't know her. And, and really it was Devin coming on board, uh, to proprietors, our consulting business that really kind of catapulted and forced us to systemize and forced us to think kind of like introspectively about what we're doing and what we want to do. And, and that was definitely the beginning of us getting to do all these exciting projects from, you know, helping open restaurants in India, in Mumbai, in uh, Russia, of doing stuff all over the U.S. Uh, from mom and pop consulting, you know, somebody starting their first bar on through to big movie chains. Um, and that then was starting to get, we were starting to feel pretty confident um, in that skill set. And then uh, somebody approached us in Denver and we were able to open um, Death & Co Denver there in the Ramble Hotel um, in collaboration with the hotel owner, a guy named Ryan Diggins, um, who we just really had a strong connection with. Um, and right about that time, um, Dave, my business partner, um, he's he's very much a visionary uh, kind of guy. He thinks big picture, long term, um, sees the opportunity where many of us don't. And um, he got uh, got us to focus on raising some money. Um, and we were able to successfully and very publicly raise money on a platform called Seed Invest um, to to really set a foundation for our growth. And and that got us to really put together and assemble a team um, on a national level uh, to work with and, and kind of find opportunity for growth. And, and the first kind of tangible result of that was um, Death & Co LA, uh, which took about two years to build and, you know, maybe four or five years after we signed the lease and it opened just before, uh, you know, this wonderful Nailed pandemic. Time. Yeah, just, just great. I highly recommend spending a lot of money opening a bar <laughs> and then not be able to operate it in order to, you know, sustain it. That's just not that cool. Yeah. So, right. yeah, it, it was a little rough, but all together, you know, Prior to March 15th, we saw this, we, we had the team together. We had three venues that were, even Death & Co LA was starting to really kind of hit a stride even those, those early months with, with anyone who's opened a bar knows it's really tough to find momentum in those early days. And then uh, we you know had this feeling that the world was kind of our oyster um, and we were gonna push for it and, and really, you know, hit the ground running as much as we possibly could. And, and then, you know, that, that day came and we had to make the call. Um, and I, I'm sure a lot of other people felt it, but it was definitely crisis management, um, shutting down the businesses, having to lay off, um, at first the bulk of all hourly employees. And then shortly after the most of the management team. Um, but we were able to find a way to kind of, you know, cinch down into, a core group of people um, and be able to find focus. And so that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today is that moment from 
March 15th until today um, and, and what we've done and where we've, what we've been able to do and how we've been able to find focus um, and really express creativity in a way that I never expected before. You know, as somebody who you know, came from a creative background and, and certainly within cocktails was able to express that in, in really fun ways um, throughout my career, um, this was a whole new type of creativity that I, I don't know if I was prepared for, but um, thanks to this kind of group of core people in our company, uh, we were able to do it. Um, and I think, you know, at, before I kind of get into the details of it, um, I, I think it's important to acknowledge that um, none of this was easy and none of it was a whole lot of fun. Um, but I think out the other end, uh, it was, there is silver linings in the, the challenges that we've all gone through in the last few months. And um, mostly that's kind of what I want to share with you is what I think some of those silver linings are. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess a few things before you jump in from my side, yeah. one is what I've always admired about you guys is um, the iterative nature of the way in which you work through, you know, things you try things, you build on them. You know, it, it's not just about, Hey, we're going to do this. That's what we're doing. You're always building and, and trying and it's, it, you know, you can, you can, you can see it from the outside as somebody who deals with a number of people at a bar, restaurant, hotel level. Um, you know, I'm, I know Kaplan pretty well. Um, shared yeah, a lot of a lot of kind of thought processes, maybe that are similar, even though I'm in a different in different line. And then I guess the other thing is, with regard to the statement on you know March on, like totally feel that really interesting. You know, we're sitting here on a live stream on this tiki platform that we thought we'd never do anything but a, a series of industry focused handful of days together because that's what it was about. So it is there is an element of it's a creativity on a different level. It's not creativity in the common sense. It's not particularly enjoyable most of the way, but there is, I think, there's a lot of value to be had out of it if you can approach it the right way. So I'm, right. I'm definitely excited to hear how you guys were thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think you're right. I mean, what you, you know, the ability to be nimble um, in any business or line of work is super important, but boy, have we learned that lesson in the last few months, right? <laughs> like every time you think, you know, what's about to happen, right. uh, it really, you know, changes and, and you're right. You know, like we, we definitely pride ourselves on being, uh, nimble and, and iterative, uh, which is to say, you know, that idea I mentioned of death and code that was so appealing to me in those early days, that energy that was almost unexplainable. It was, it was ephemeral energy in the air. Um, to me, always spoke uh, to that place not being the four walls, you know, that there was something outside of there, or there was something about that that could be expressed in different places. And that was really the excited energy I felt as we were, you know, having Denver open. And it's a vastly different space. You know, if anyone doesn't know it, Google it. It has lots of windows and it's huge, <laughs> you know, versus New York's tiny little dark bar. And LA is something else entirely on its own, um, but that there's continuity that that threads between all of them. That's really important to us. Cool. And I think kind of at the core of that is, um, you know, something Dave and I were talking about this not long ago and, and it's really, you know, community. Um, and we, you know, that, that word, I feel like it's tossed around so much, you know, like um, that we like community is our most important thing. But, you know, I think we've defined it in a way that really applies to our work, which is, you know, our community is first and foremost our team. Um, and we've we've really pivoted 
or not pivoted, we've leaned in hard to that and trying to build a positive culture um, and a team that really connects more than just the job duties that they have. Um, and from that team, you know, like our community then spreads to our guests. And then from there to our neighborhood and our city, and then, you know, to our industry beyond that on kind of a global level. Um, and so, you know, when March 15th hit, and, and Dave said this to me, and I, I found it like really powerful. It was like, we of course were having a lot of reflective conversations in those early days, trying to understand like how we were feeling about all of it and how we were going to find our way through. And, you know, he said, it's really hard for us to find that focus when the many layers of that we don't have an actual day-to-day -day connection to anymore. Our staff is gone, mm -hmm. you know, like our guests aren't there. Um, and, you know, we are physically cut off from our cities and our industry, you know, we barely can kind of like grasp. And so, you know, we took that, that kind of thought process and that, that, um, understanding of the things that are most important to us, which is as we define it as our community and those kind of layers and those gradations. And, and we, we, we took a moment in this kind of crisis and, and turned inward. So, you know, for us, there were kind of three important points of, of turning inward as a company and as in individuals, which was, you know, first trying to maintain that connection to those various levels uh, of people, um, you know, providing support and resources and then uh, transparency. And so, you know, maintaining the connection was, is really challenging when you don't have a day-to-day, -day, like you're not physically operating these places and you can't actually talk to your staff. But, um, you know, I will sing the praises of it forever, but I'm very, very happy that a few years ago we started um, instituting Slack within our entire company. And it was, it became by a regimented process, the only way in which the staff communicated both about work stuff, as well as a lot of, you know, allowed areas for personal kind of engagement and, and like for the community aspect of our team to express itself. And that was a, an incredibly powerful platform for us to maintain connection. Because I firmly believe that those of us operators out there that are able to maintain a connection um, to their team and to keep some of the culture that was built up before, and for us that, that felt like a pretty solid one, you're able to do that, then you're going to be so much stronger at the other end of this. You know, just think of the hours and hours and hours that you've put into training people um, and building the culture. And so to have that connection was really, really important to us. Maintaining, you know, connection to our guests was a lot more challenging. You know, we, we didn't, uh, we couldn't serve them alcohol. Um, and for us, we did the analysis on, you know, those early days of just to go without any sort of service. And, one, we didn't, we didn't feel personally very safe about um, asking our team to come in and expose themselves to contact with people in those early stages when, when a lot of us had no idea. Uh, the world didn't really know how this thing was spreading and, and what the, the realities of safety were. Um, and it wasn't financially viable. And while we had a little bit of money in the bank, there was just no, there was no runway there to really play with. And the whiplash effect um, was so significant um, for so many people I saw who were trying to get it going and it, you know it being a great community relations, but it not being viable. So we instead, you know, tried to leverage more of what we were trying to leverage what has been successful for us in the past. And we're so lucky that we have a really strong, say, Instagram account. Uh, and so we started pivoting a little bit how we could connect with those guests um, 
through that, you know, being a little bit more educational, providing more for people who are stuck at home as, as well as our community too. And so you see it kind of like spreading from there and then support and resources, you know, um, within our Slack, we, we, um, started instituting in an effort to maintain connection, uh, a daily newsletter where, uh, one of the leaders of the company, myself, Dave, our director of ops, Mike chain, uh, beverage director, Tyson, Bueller, uh, our culinary director, Wes Hamilton or Devin Tarby would, you know, give an overview of where we're at, um, tell them how we're doing uh, this part of the transparency piece of it. It's not only what we have been before and have been for a long time with our teams is open book. We share our numbers, tell them exactly what we're doing and where we think we need to go. Um, but we kind of pivoted to be more open heart and sharing with people how we're doing um, and inviting them to you know, interact with us. Um, but through that process also, you know, trying to consolidate in each given city, there were uh, very specific resources that people could tap, be it, you know, the USBG funds, be it um, other opportunities to make cash that people weren't able to through uh, initiatives like this, where people can send them Venmos um, and, and also provide um, mental health services and really, frankly, try to stretch every dollar that we had. Um, we've been trying to get you know, better benefits for our team for a long time. And we were through some very creative accounting um, and not creative in a bad way, but creative in a really strategic way. Our, our admin, Marie, um, was able to find ways in which to extend health insurance for even some of the staff that were let go. So um, that was that was really helpful for us. Yeah. So that was really like crisis management, um, you right. know, like trying to figure out what this thing was without any kind of understanding of, of really what the timeline looked like. It's it's interesting you mentioned Slack. We we've used it for some years, although honestly, we're kind of slacking on Slack right now. Uh -huh. Get it? No, yeah, good one, right? But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a great tool to keep people connected. Easier, honestly, than email, frankly. Uh, and I think it is like you know, how do you keep some of that connective tissue and normalcy within this when obviously we're not there. Right. So, it's, you know, I think that answer is different for everybody, but it's definitely yeah. a part of, of having a vision and making it through this and out of it, you know? Yeah. You know, it's funny that uh, I've had this conversation There's a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's a helpful one. You know, when you talk about uh, opportunities to connect with people and like say something like Slack um, or assessing some other opportunity or system out there to try to maintain connection or to collaborate with people. And there's the kind of creative process of assessing it out and figuring it out and implementing it. Um, well, not implementing, that's the really hard part. You know, like I feel like it should be acknowledged that often finding creative solutions, be it, you know, the expression of a, a cocktail or a, a business challenge, um, is kind of plucked out of the cloud and you put the idea out there in the world and, and there it is and, and it exists. But the reality is that the it, it takes an unbelievable amount of work to really make these things function and to really live and breathe for people. And um, I think that was one of the lessons we've learned, you know, with something like Slack was, you know, just making it just a part of the DNA of the business in order for it to, to, to work. Um, and you could probably say that true of anything, you know, like for example, we, all of our SOPs and recipes are within an Evernote database that's shared by everyone, but that could be absolute utter chaos if it wasn't given structure mm -hmm. and, um, you know, guided the correct way. Got it. So, you know, after that kind of initial crisis management and, and wrapping ourselves around it, it was starting to become clear 
to to us anyway, and I'm sure for a lot of people that this was going to be a little bit longer than we thought. You know, while I had a lot of optimism for um, it ending quicker, um, it really, you know, we we decided to set ourselves up for with a plan to be able to reopen whenever that was right and felt safe to us. And, and we we definitely kind of put our heads together and said, you know is our ultimate goal to open the first moment we can. And one could argue that that would be the, the correct business decision. You know, like the moment you can take revenue again, you should do so. But at the kind of core of, of our business is that connection piece to our staff and really that the emphasis on our community being important and really assessing all decisions kind of through that lens. So it didn't feel right to us to just simply open right away. And so we decided we're gonna, you know, essentially we'll about two week buffer from when we can to when we will to see how things are going. And that's proven in retrospect to be pretty helpful for us because we've seen how others have reacted. We've been able to pivot. Um, and while we're, you know, we may be considered kind of an innovator in our field, I am very comfortable and very happy being the second one to the party, if not the third one, you know, like I like to see how other, other things happen, um, let somebody trailblaze and, and have issues, um, hopefully without health problems in this case, but uh, to be able to kind of observe the environment around us was really helpful. And, you know, we pivoted very quickly from the, okay, we're wrapping our heads around how we're gonna maintain this connection to our team, um, but now we need to find focus for ourselves. And for this kind of core group of people, we started asking ourselves some really hard questions. And one of them was, how do we wanna come back? You know, this even though this is challenging and financially almost ruinous or if not completely ruinous, um, if we are able to come back, do we want to come back exactly the same way we were or do we want to be better and different? And one of the first steps for us was, uh, you know, just finding a level of, you know, maybe peace with uncertainty isn't the right way of saying it, but um, I guess acceptance of uncertainty. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said a minute ago, the whiplash is exhausting. Um, yeah. It just, it is, you know, like we we were getting ready to reopen a couple of places and then the government told us differently. And so, you know, you just kind of pulled in a million different directions. Um, and that can be maddening, but finding a level, uh, an ability to maybe distract, maybe to to just hone in on something and, and kind of the tangible outcome of our inward focus was um, a reopening playbook. Um, and really what's underneath that, and, and the reopening playbook for anyone who wants it, we're constantly updating it. It's uh, available on our website, uh, deathandcompany.com slash COVID-19. Um, and it's really our generalized plan of attack for reopening our venues. There's a lot of minutia for each one because they operate a little differently, but I'll get into that in a few minutes. But Ultimately, the assembly of this playbook um, came about after hundreds of hours of collaboration between our team, um, led by our director of operations, Mike Shane, of really looking at what we do, our systems, how we operate, um, how we want to operate, and finding a way to articulate that into a new environment. And that is was really all theory, you know, like aside from watching how people were reopening in say Hong Kong or other parts of Asia, um, there really was nothing there in a domestic sense to, to really guide us. Uh, you know, Tobin Els masterful work is a really incredible guide. Um, 
but there was no nothing really kind of speaking to our specific type of operation. So, you know, that I think was one of those opportunities um, for us to, to, to kind of just, again, go inward and, and try to ask ourselves the hard questions of how we want to operate and how we want to be. And again, it kind of comes back to that transparency piece. You know, the moment we started putting this together, we knew that we had to share it with everyone. Um, yeah. And that seems magnanimous, but like, honestly, it wasn't like, I just can't imagine doing anything else. You know, it's not proprietary information. It's just our approach to it. And why, if that can help one person be slightly more safe, then it can be helpful to us. I think it's awesome you guys are sharing it. We just put that link up uh, on Facebook now, if anybody wants it. Um, I think that the two week thing is interesting. I, I certainly saw from, again, from, from a third party perspective, like people jumping in being like, well, I gotta do it. Got it to your point, gotta get the revenue, right? Which is yeah. true. It's it, it's a burning need when you're in the middle of something like this, right? But mm-hmm. I think it's interesting to hold back, wait and see, effectively saving money in theory, potentially, if you, know, you jump in, you go get started and then it doesn't go the way you thought or something else comes up or you need to totally pivot on the pivot, right? So you know, it's an interesting way to look at it, smart way to look at it. And I think it comes back to like preparedness and the importance of it. Um, You know, if we were to simply have opened our doors as quickly as possible, we would have bled money. And the, the amount of times I've rebuilt our business models in the last six months is staggering. Um, There was a period there where we were rebuilding projections almost every two weeks for all of our businesses. And that is insane, you know? (laughs) Uh, And and it's it's not just simply updating numbers. It's creating a business plan with like projected revenue out of ether. We had no idea how people were gonna react. You know, it's, you know, we could fill every one of our X number of seats for two turns a night, knowing that we need a little bit of buffer on either side, which are the tangible, you know, to reset properly and, and you know, redo PPE and, and get everything set up in, for a safe environment. That's simple math. But what's not simple are cultural norms and the changes in customer attitude, because that world that we existed in before, where we understood very, very well how it all worked, that doesn't exist right now. And we need to kind of, you know, playing with numbers in order to try and find a path forward and then stitching it all together and looking at the big picture between three bars and our consulting business and seeing if it works and seeing if what needs to happen for it to work. And that really being a guiding um, light for us in, in prioritizing certain things, you know, and to your point, it became, well, opening really quickly here as guests are just dipping back in, that's not going to get the revenue we need. So let's, let's hold off. Let's do it safely. Let's do it when we're comfortable and ready to do so. It was really important to us. So another part of this was getting as loud as possible. Um, probably have seen if anyone follows our Instagram, um, that we've been involved with the, um, uh, independent restaurant coalition since it was formed or shortly after it was formed. Um, which was, I believe, March 18th. Um, this group of restaurateurs across the country came together. I think the kind of group is about 100 people right now. Um, and we're on, you know, day, uh, not daily, uh, it was daily for a little bit, but uh, a couple times a week coming together. And this group um, is amazing. I'm an incredibly small part of it. I mostly just try to amplify the work of these incredibly um, 
uh, impressive, well-known chefs like Naomi Pomeroy, Chef Th Thomas Keller, Andrew Zimmern. Um, the list goes on and on. These are like powerhouses of, of our industry. Um, and they've very successfully been able to achieve through getting you know advocacy out there um, for revisions in the PPP, Payroll Protection Plan, um, which has been very helpful for our business as well as advocating for what's called the Restaurants Act. Um, and if anyone's listening, please, if, if especially if you're in a state that has uh, heavy Republican representation, please just go to saverestaurants.com hit the take action button and it will just fill in and take two seconds, fill in a little bit of information and it'll send directly to your representatives and senators showing your support. And what this would do is for small independent operators provide money to make up the difference for what we've lost this year. And if anyone's paying attention to the news, if you go on Eater, you, you read your local newspaper, we're at the threshold right now where people just can't survive any longer and um, they're closing, places are permanently closing. So if anything anyone can do, please do so. A little bit of a tangent, but um, I'd be remiss not to, to vocalize it. Um, but this That's is you know, gonna be vital. For sure. Yeah, important tangent. Yeah. We'll say it one more time before we're done. Um, <laughs> So, you know, we're trying to also, you know, through the IRC, um, through other things we're involved with, like I'm uh, a part of the Tales of the Cocktail Education Committee and being a part of pivoting the education platform this year to old live sessions, which are going to be happening uh, at the end of September. Check it out online. Um, all free. You can sign up. There's a lot of really cool education that we had a complete docket ready to go before the, the pandemic hit. And we had to completely redo it um, and bring in a whole new slate of education. So it's it, it's pretty cool. It doesn't all speak to COVID related things, but there is a lot of really helpful resources in there. So encourage you to check that out too. And then kind of back to our um, business, um, we we've really put double down on the engagement of our community. Um, and knowing that we weren't able to bring a lot of staff back, even in the early days of reopening, uh, really you know honing our um, honing our Instagram to be as educational as possible and engaging and spreading the word and using things like AMAs, which are uh, ask me anything's on Instagram as a way to bring in experts from around uh, the world and the country, really like uh, legal advice from Helbron Levy in New York, who are helping people navigate the situation, mental health professionals, um, other people that can provide kind of more wide ranging help and assistance and guidance during this time. And then we've also really, you know, as many business owners right now, we've sought revenue in every corner of the room that we could find. We've lifted every piece of furniture, dragged out every penny. <laughs> and uh, luckily, we had a retail platform um, that was, you know, fairly modest um, prior to this, but we were able to really, you know, use that to, to get people um, to find revenue um, and use some of the funds to divert to uh, our staff GoFundMe, which uh, was started shortly after the pandemic. I should have mentioned it earlier, um, but thanks to the generosity of, um, you know, our fans, uh, our community at large, we were able, and a lot of brands, frankly, um, it, that they were able to donate. Um, and I'm not sure if I can mention specifically, but so I won't, um, but, you know, brands that may be associated with what we're talking about today were extremely generous in giving us dollars to go to our staff. And we have this fund set up that's controlled by a committee of employees um, that handle any requests for emergency um, or any financial need. Um, and we're, like I said, able to raise, I think about $40,000. Um, wow. The money's just sitting there right now. Mostly, it's still mostly intact, um, but people have, have been able to utilize it. Um, 
So that retail platform, we've started to get creative. Um, and this is really the brainchild of Dave uh, as he is our kind of retail guru and marketing guru. But we launched some things called Defico experiences, which just aren't, you know, buying a shaker 10 or a book um, or a sweatshirt, a hoodie of, of finding a way to kind of front load um, kind of futures in, in death and co. And, you know, some of them from the top left, it's like goodbye 2020, which is, you know, pre-buy tickets for our new year's Eve celebration. I'm, you know, these launched a long time ago. I'm really hoping this, this can happen um, to having say priority reservations, which it, traditionally we, we don't take reservations. So the ability to, you know, kind of be able to, to know that you can get those um, when we're back open uh, was a really easy thing for us that really cost us nothing, but was able to engage people and allow them to show support on through to cocktail classes, or we'll set up your design cocktails for your wedding or a getaway to the ramble. Or one of the ones I'm really excited about is a custom bar cart where I get to work with somebody on setting them up with the most badass bar cart for their home use. And, you know, something like that, I didn't think anyone was going to purchase, but we recently, uh, last week, a woman purchased it as a wedding gift for her fiance. So oh, super cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Talk about the best fiance ever. So I'm really <laughs> excited. I'm excited to work with her and, and set it up with delicious plantation and other fine things from Maison Ferrand. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, within the retail sphere, I was, I've just been shocked at, uh, we have these limited release tiki mugs that we have this great relationship with a um, tiki mug maker in, in Southern California. And um, we've done some work with them in the past, but over the over COVID, we've been able to work with them on these special limited releases. Oh, I need um, yeah, and we've got, we've just, we've, done three or four of them over COVID and the reaction has been amazing. I mean, these things sell out so quick. Um, it's just been incredibly helpful and I'm so thankful for the community and for our fans that are, are purchasing these cause they've really, you know, they are, we stand behind the integrity of their, their production. They're really great mugs. Um, but they're also really helpful for us as a business as we're trying to navigate, you know, not making money. Um, um Bug yeah, front. If you want to give us a heads up when you guys release the next one, we can. I'm sure our Tiki Butter Sea community would love to know about it. Um, you know, not that you're yeah. having selling them anyway, but um, happy to spread the word on that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, we certainly will. Um, other creative things to find, you know, any revenue, we were able to set up a residency at Soundview out in uh, Greenport on North Fork, Fourth Fork, Long Island, can't speak English. Um, <laughs> and, you know, this is a hotel group that we've worked with a lot in the past. Uh, Glorietta, a restaurant in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, where Dave lives, they have a great hotel there called the Anvil. And we set up their beverage program and we've worked really well. And we saw some, you know, mutual benefit here. They were completely revamping the hotel to be very COVID friendly in that, you know, you can basically, they have these beautiful rooms right on the water and you can have your escape without have any proximity to people. It's close to the public, you know, it's just you know, guests of the hotel able to interact with the F and B. Um, and we felt really good about how they were approaching it. Um, and so we did a collaboration with them uh, to help, you know, generate a little bit of revenue. And then uh, the most random thing, one of, a couple of our investors called me one day uh, when Dave was out from maternity and they're like, Hey, you know, we, uh, we help launch TV shows. You guys want to do a collaboration on, 
some cocktails around the launch of this season of The Alienist. And we're like, hell yes, because that's all we say right now is yes, we will do anything. I'll even, you know, talk to you, Pete. And yeah, I wouldn't have done that before. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I think it's paternity, by the way, not maternity. Although, uh, oh, you sure paternity, you're right. <laughs> you're right, you. paternity. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> um, and that's all the stuff that was kind of like just there before we were able to actually reopen. Um, in late June, we made the decision to get the doors open. And, you know, we had this playbook, this, this plan of attack, but it's been amazing to see the kind of intricacies of each operation. And we started first by uh, operating indoors. Um, for those not acclimated, our property in Denver is quite large. It's a very grand hotel lobby. Uh, and we were able to set up a decent amount of seats very, with very cautious social distancing. Um, and that that felt really good. And the reaction from our guests was overwhelmingly positive, you know, statements like this is the safest we felt anywhere in Denver and yada, yada, yada. And we're like, okay, cool. We're doing something right here. Um, but, you know, that brought up some really creative challenges. Um, and, and it was from experience on down to product. Um, on an experience side, Defico is known for these kind of big volumetric cocktail menus, um, expansive, um, a lot of esoteric ingredients, um, advanced preparations, you know, cocktails on draft and, and use of clarification, yada, yada, yada. Um, but we didn't really have any money to spend. So how are we, how are we going to do that? And it's not safe to give somebody a beautiful leather bound book to leaf through. And so we had to kind of change that and, you know, moving from, something that was so tactile before, like our, our books are much like our, our books you can buy, you know, from Amazon, they're, they're kind of physical objects and we want people to engage them. But absent that tactile relationship with our offerings, how could we do that? And, you know, we kind of pivoted to, to focus on what that like online experience would be like. So using something like a QR code um, is really not the most, you know, gracious thing in the world, but everyone's doing it. So we're all kind of getting used to it. Um, but we worked with our designers that we've worked with for a very long time um, to try and create menus that looked beautiful, um, that represented kind of the, the the experience that was really important to us, but were also nimble enough. And that's part of the product side of things that I think is really has been a, both a challenge and an opportunity for us. Prior to shutdown, we had broad expectations for what we needed to spend, uh, what our cost of goods were. They weren't broad, they were very specific. Um, but in a in a reopening environment, um, we had to tighten the bootstraps. We had to look at everything that we're doing and see how can we really make sure this is the most efficient operation possible. And and it sucks, but you know, part of that was essentially looking at the inventory we had and rebuilding our menus using existing cocktails. So they were vetted, they had gone through our development process, you know, we stood behind these drinks, but building menus almost kind of on a weekly basis, depending on what we, we had in stock and using what we had. And we're, you know, that has been really a, a great thing so far for us in managing our costs while being able to still express creativity. And the end result of that, of that limitation has been an offering that continues to change. And, you know, anecdotally, it seems to be something that uh, our guests are enjoying too, that we not only, you know, we have that high level of cocktail, the attention to detail, but that we are able to kind of create new reasons to come back more frequently. And that too is, you know, express itself in our to-go offerings where we've, um, do, 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 do. 
Oh, let's keep going. There we go. Um, where we decided, you know, if we're going to do to go, it needs to it needs to extend our hospitality home. And and the first way, just like you know, a, a beautiful garnish on a drink, you 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 consume the thing with your eyes first, right? And so we know we knew we had to have a beautiful package, but we knew we also had to have um, a, a, something to sell that was worth it for both us and our guests. And, and we really have looked at more larger, uh, larger servings between, you know, 375 ml bottles to 750s and finding kind of a range of offerings um, on a weekly basis that tend to change based upon what we have and what we're able to put together um, so that, you know, we can hopefully gain momentum with our guests um, to have them come back as much as possible. Yeah, those look great. What are those right there? Um, I have no idea what specific drinks those are. Um, no, I'm guessing it's size. The size, of the size? Yeah. Oh, those are the three, seven, five and seven. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Cool. And there are a lot of, um, for those out there kind of trying to navigate these waters, there are a lot of wholesale suppliers of bottles, um, that you can find like bottles, et cetera.com, um, that are great resources. A lot of them are stretched thin right now, as you can imagine, as they're, um, you know, having to deal with a lot more volume than they're used to, but, um, you can still find great stuff that's not very expensive. Um, you know, I have friends here in Portland, Maine that own uh, Hunt and Alpine club and they have, they've decided to go essentially like two servings. Um, and they have these cute little plastic bottles. Um, and it's fantastic. Um, and we decided, okay, we want it to be like this glass bottle and have heft to it. And, and ours are quite a bit more expensive. So, you know, there's too many different directions you can go with this given the kind of tools out there. So we got reopened in Denver um, and we were preparing to uh, reopen in Los Angeles and then reopen in New York. Um, and that's when both LA and New York shut us down, uh, shut everyone down from any indoor. Um, Simultaneously, we had a COVID case uh, on our staff in Denver. Um, and following our playbook and our approach to it, um, it was scary. I'm not going to lie. Like the theory of just like it's scary building those projections and those business models and kind of not knowing what the reality is, it was really scary having the theory of our plan and then having to put it into action. Uh, and that involved, you know, uh, very focused contact tracing, uh, getting everyone who had any risk of exposure tested as quickly as possible. And luckily, um, Denver had rapid testing available. Um, so we were able to go through that um, very, very quickly. And, you know, at the end of it, it was um, really difficult. Um, going through the whiplash of, of opening, reopening and then closing again, has been, it was incredibly hard. You know, the machine of restaurants and bars, as we all felt when we had to close down in March, when that when you're not allowed to take revenue, the machine doesn't stop. It's like a locomotive, right? There's a lot of built up momentum and you cannot just stop it in its tracks. So part of our reopening planning was finding ways in which we could stop the machine as quickly as possible. Um, and we were able to do it fairly well, but it was definitely really challenging. And this isn't quite public yet. We're about to make an announcement, but or it might have happened while we've been talking. But uh, we've actually had to close down again uh, for a second time in Denver, not because somebody on our staff had uh, was uh, a positive case, but somebody in the hotel we're, we're at. So we've oh, been wow. going through all the process. And, and luckily, again, our systems are proving really strong. Uh, we have a really strong relationship with our Department of Health in Denver. Um, and they're really helpful to us and giving us the feedback we need. So it's really how challenging. Long are the, how long are those closures? 
Um, this one will be significantly shorter. That first one was two weeks. Um, yeah. And the second one, we'll, we're hoping to be open in the next couple of days um, okay. based upon, again, we return to, do we feel safe to do this? And test results tell us if we're safe. And that's what we rely on as um, a milestone before we commit to the next step. So it's definitely a challenge, um, but one that we're, we're dealing with. And I think that really starts bringing up an important thing to recognize um, is that many of us got into this business because um, despite the long hours, sometimes the shitty pay, um, despite the, the never ending challenges, uh, the late nights, the stress, that can come with all of it. Um, the, you know, exposure to alcohol and, and dangerous situations. Um, we do so because we're passionate about it. And, and that at the end of the day, there's something fun about making people smile or happy or otherwise improving their lives through our hospitality and our products. And when you operate in this current environment, it's really hard to have fun. And it's really hard to have that joy. And that is the morale issue I think is, is massive. Um, and it's really challenging for us. Um, we try to you know, have positivity, but it's a drain and a stress on everyone because the joy isn't there as much as it used to be. Um, and I, I hope that that is helpful for people out there in recognizing because it's okay. You know, they're, it's not going to magically get better. Um, and it, it sucks that we're in, stuck between a hard, rock and a hard place because it's not like you can, we can just go do something else right now. You know, the world is still mostly shut down in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, that, that's been really important for us to recognize and then find, try to find ways again to kind of reconnect with our staff to, to, to find moments of joy when we can uh, and celebrate them above all else. So, um, after reclosing, uh, we reopened in Denver outdoor only um, and completely changed our service model. Where before we were trying to, or we I think succeeded in creating a death and co, a different death and co experience inside. You know, we were still engaging with our guests. We were still guiding them through an experience, though, from a distance. We we're still able to give them all the flourish uh, that we had before, just a different version of it. Now we decided we're going to do a completely different thing. Um, we want the product to be great. We want people to feel safe. And so we decided we felt most safe just operating outdoors. And we installed, if you see kind of over to the left there, we saw the window in the side of the building. We took over the street in front of the building and put in big tents and we corralled it so that guests now come, they meet the host, um, they are directed to a table and told to order at the window. We still deliver everything with real glassware, beautiful eyes garnish, you know, to the appropriate level and, and of course food um but it is now quite different um, than it used to be and in new york similarly we were able to open up outdoors uh take over a couple of parking spaces in front of our building and the regulations are such there that you really can't take over more than the width of your building which anyone who's been there it's a tiny freaking building so not a whole lot but we were able to find you know ways in which to safely accommodate about 17 people at a time and one of my favorite parts of it which isn't really shown in this but on the left side there we have a little like kind of a stoop and we were able to put a table on it with two bar stools um so that you have essentially like the equivalent of two bar seats um, which <laughs> when they did that it just like that's one of the things i miss the most and every time i'm like you know 
out at a restaurant outdoors because that's personally the only way I feel safe right now. I turned to my husband and I'm like, I just miss bars. I just miss sitting at a bar, you know? So that was a, a fun little innovation. And then um, LA is uh, in the process of getting some outdoor um, going as well. So we're, we're readying, readying for that as well. Um, so all of them though, I think it's important to note that while we have that baseline of the playbook that each one of them is approaching this a little differently. Um, the New York environment you just saw is fully, um, it's full service. So it's not like uh, Denver, I mentioned that more counter service model. Um, this is full service. It's a small enough area. This is a way that we can have a couple of people working and, and be uh, able to engage guests. And, and thus far, you know, it's a crazy, Death & Co New York is the little engine that could, um, and it has been doing really well. So we're now at this point where we uh, have been able to navigate um, both opening, closing, whiplash of it, find ways through it, um, and, and really, you know, spend our time trying to be as efficient as possible. But our eyes for the last many months have also been on what's on the other side of this thing. Um, and a lot of that kind of inward reflection is for that period. So while, you know, while it's, it's terrible to say so, I think that there is opportunity for many people on the other side of it. You know, a lot of us have lost you know, like our life's work has been put in jeopardy, if not closed entirely. And these, there, there will be, I really strongly believe that there will be a resurgence on the other side of this, that there will be opportunity for people because perhaps hopefully the, the equation that was maybe not sustainable before with crazy high rents in certain places, operating costs out of whack, perhaps we can have a little bit of a reset switch on that. So, you know, I guess my kind of final piece uh, of advice, and this is one of my favorite quotes from a woman named Angela Duckworth, who uh, wrote a book called Grit, amongst other things, is, you know, there's a lot of talent out there, but, you know, talent only counts so much. You have to, you really have to do the work. You have to dig in. You have to spend the time doing it. And I highly encourage those who haven't that if this isn't the busiest time in your life, then it ought to be because that will pay dividends on the other side of this tenfold. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll echo that from my side. I mean, that's, that's kind of how we're thinking about it. There's a lot of things we can't be doing, but there's many things we can be doing as an organization to set ourselves up for future success. One, secure at least the present as best as possible, but two, really look at where can we take this and what can we learn from this experience that we can then use in the future as well. To your point, maybe do things a little bit better, maybe do things a little bit different, maybe explore some opportunities that we didn't have the time to do, right? In, in, in the normal operation of, of what we're doing, you know? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. And, you know, you're going to be hardened by the battle of it all, um, which is terrible to say, but, but very much true. You know, there's, uh, my, my skin is twice as thick as it used to be. So that's nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, and that's all, all I got for you. All right. I got a couple questions for you. Shoot. Um, so what talk to talk a little bit about um your first tiki drink we're, we're doing a tiki session here so i know we're, we're talking about the pandemic but like talk about let's get back to drinks for a second and what was the first drink like tropical tiki universe that really spoke to you and why uh i had the great fortune of working with brian miller um at mm -hmm. death and co 
in those early years. And I would hundred percent consider him one of my, my mentors in the bar world. Um, and Brian got very excited as we all know about Tiki, um, <laughs> and applying the, the little lessons of Tiki, which, you know, multiple base spirits together and applying that to the death go aesthetic. But then he really started pivoting just into Tiki and my aha moments was a Mai Tai he made just before he opened, um, an unfortunately, uh, gone restaurant now called Elitaria. Um, and he made this beautiful Mai Tai that was so fucking good. I like, I still salivate thinking about it. And it was, it was rich, rich, luscious, but also not sweet. Like it like blew my mind how refreshing it was and, and so complex. And as I recall, it was, it was agricole rum and, uh, Jamaican rum. And, and, you know, then the typical, and it was equal measures of each, but it was something about the marriage of those two rums together. That was kind of a click moment for me. It's like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting to see how these two elements come together for something greater than the sum of their parts. Right on. Um, let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned a number of things, but if there's something for people to take away about how they could support you guys specifically, what, what are the one or two ways that you would really think of as the best ways for them to do that? Um, I would love, we still have it up on our website for the GoFundMe for the staff. Um, any contribution to that would be amazing. Uh, first and foremost, you know, a safety net for them. Uh, in addition to that, supporting our retail market, um, which if you go to our website, there's a little uh, button that says store. Um, ele elements of that um, would be really, really helpful. And in fact, we're working with a new creative director now who uh, we have a whole new line of uh, of apparel coming out that I'm really really excited about. Um, those would those would be the two main ways. Um, and of course, if you live in any of the cities where we're operating, uh, we would absolutely love your support in in the doors um, and you know in whatever level you're comfortable with to go on through to coming to visit us. Right on, cool. Let's uh, let's make a drink. I think we mm. all need a drink after that discussion. Uh, yeah, very good. But uh, yeah, so why don't you talk about the inspiration from this one, uh, ingredient bases and what have you. Oh, for sure. Um, so this was originally a drink from a place we opened, a nightclub we opened in uh, LA uh, called Honeycut. Yep, good old Honeycut. Um, <laughs> so it was the, the weird bar that could, um, and it did for a little bit, it was fun. Um, but this was a, um, you know, it was a high volume bar um, and we had to build things quickly, but we also wanted to provide drinks that were low in alcohol content while still being complex. Um, you know, nightclubs tend to get out of control quite quickly um, and having drinks like this that were both refreshing and, um, you know, complex um, and wouldn't kind of kick you on your butt uh, was really important to us. And, and, you know, the inclusion of powerful ingredients like, you know, a small teaspoon of cachaça um, just to bring like some kind of funk and complexity um, was a kind of early moment of realizing the power uh, of ingredients like that. And, and at that point we didn't, I don't think we had Avoa, did we Pete? Uh, it was too early. I, have, I like how I left this in by the way. That's pretty I know, cool. you did a copy edit my little note to you. <laughs> nice work. Yeah, yeah. Hey, can't, can't, can't be perfect every time. Yep. Uh, so. So yeah. everyone knows he did not send me a bottle of Abu Cachaça, um, but yet. I cracked, I had an old, old bottle and this is so old. It still says Brazilian rum. Do you know this brand? Oh, wow. Yeah, I do know that brand. Yeah, yeah. Ah. That's fun. Mm. It got cracked open for the first time. So um, yeah. 
this is just a spritz, um, as I usually like to do, just build them in the glass. So a little teaspoon of cachaça. Uh, we've got a dash of Angostura bitters. My dash are, for some reason, two feels more equivalent. Some of them are three. You never know. Um, let's see. What else is in this? Because I don't make drinks very often. Just kidding. That's not true. <laughs> um, half ounce of fresh lime juice. Three quarter ounce of pineapple gum syrup. Um, you can honestly just, it's essentially equal measures of fresh pineapple juice and sugar with a little bit of gum arabic. But if you just blend the pineapple and sugar uh, and let it sit for a little bit, that'll totally work. The gum will have a little bit more body to it. And to make it, you, you need an immersion circulator. So it's a little bit of a pain in the butt. Um, ounce and a half of Lillet Rosé, which is a nice light fortified wine. And an ounce of Plantation Three Star. So um, this is a rad rum, blend of three different rums, three different islands rums, um, and made, made by the wonderful people at Maison Ferrand, which um, have been massive supporters of our community um, before and during and ongoing, um, and are just wonderful people altogether. And this rum, I think I, what I love most about it is it's delicious, first and foremost. Um, second, made by great people who I love spending time with. And third is incredibly affordable. You know, I, I don't know what the prices are in every one state, but um, the stuff will not set you back too much and really packs a good punch. So um, I love it. It's what I pull for when I make daiquiris at home, which this summer was frequently. Um, because I'm lazy during this cocktail. Sponsoring this fun session. Yes, thank you, Plantation. We love you. Um, also, this, this feels like the bar of the future right here. Like you sitting at a table, yeah, you know, just kind of doing this. This is like this is bartending. I'm pretty lazy, um, <laughs> and you know, you've probably done a lot of these cocktail demos where people are like shaking on camera. You never look great. You kind of look like a jackass all the time. So um, I'm definitely trying to avoid that right now. And again, I'm lazy. Yeah. And and I have a lot of emails to answer after this, so I can't, you know, drink a ton. Well, it's a little bit of soda water. Spritz wouldn't be a spritz without some bubbles. Mm. Quick little fold. And I called for in the recipe mint, but it seems my could use just a little bit more temperature change. It seems that my local little market don't have any mint because they are so hyper local. Um, so I grabbed some basil, which honestly, any nice aromatic leafy herb um, is perfect for this drink. Kind of just creates a little bit more complexity on the nose. Um, and there you have it. Wow. Pins and needles. That looks fantastic right now. Really good end of summer drink. Mm -hmm. We'll have to make Ooh. sure you get a bottle of mine. Absolutely. I don't think you can find that brand in the US, so it's impressive you have that. Yeah, I don't know how that where this came from. I think it was like I think it was like Dave's at one point, or I don't know. Who knows? Those are fuzzy yeah. nights in Brooklyn many years ago. So if anybody wants to uh, make this along with us, we hope you are. Please feel free to post this up. Tag hashtag Tiki by the Sea at Tiki by the Sea NJ. We love to see those. Uh, nice simple beverage, which is great. Uh, not always the case for you guys, but super fun. But I, I do really commend you guys for. You know, the way you've done the books uh, really breaks it down. It gives a lot of context for people. It's not just here's a spec, here's an ingredient, go for it. 
you know, that kind of vibe. So, um, you know, keep doing that. I think it's great um, and much appreciated. Well, thanks. I'm uh, another thing that we're working on now is a, is another book and, and this one definitely very targeted at empowering people at home um, uh, to interpret recipes and be able to make them even if they don't have one esoteric ingredient. So um, we're very excited about that. That's good. Guillaume, Guillaume and I will make sure you have bottles uh, for that one this time. Excellent. <laughs> he gives a thumbs up in the background. The green room, if you will. <laughs> All right. Very cool. Thank you much, sir. Uh, Thank you. Round, we're going to go to five questions. Oh, wait. Hold up. Let's put your info up. If anybody wants to stay in touch, a-a.gay at Gin and Luck. A reminder on the tip jar at Alexander-Paul-Day. Uh, if you guys want to contribute, these are all the Death & Co. handles. I'm sure you can easily find them. As you mentioned, you guys do a great job on that. Um, Brittany is mentioning hazy nights in Brooklyn may have happened more than once. <laughs> uh, she was my roommate, after all. Oh, I, didn't know, I don't know if I knew that. Yeah, I. Um, it was a period when I had a room in a, an apartment with Brittany and Jillian, uh, as well as Brandon, who owns Attaboy in Nashville. Um, and I was mostly living in LA, but uh, would would be with them quite a bit. It was we were all kind of adults in that period. Sort of. <laughs> Very good, good to hear it. Good to hear it. All right, let's move on. We're gonna put you to the side for one moment. We're gonna bring in Katie Best. Hi, how you doing? Hi. <laughs> What's going on over there? Thanks for sticking with us. Oh, nothing. Just taking notes and, you know. Taking notes. There yeah. you go. There you go. Very informative. All right. You ready for five questions? Yeah, let's do this. All right. Favorite Tiki by the Sea memory? <sighs> uh, Mind Erasers by the Pool. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we heard that one before, I think. That seems to be uh, coming up a couple times here. It was fun. <laughs> I don't think I was there for that. Sounds like uh, I was late. Fun. late. That's a, little, that's a little late night jam. If you come to Tiki <laughs> as a volunteer, which you only get to do as alumni, then I reward you for your hard work in the form of mind erasers. No big there deal. No big deal. Uh, so good. Yeah. Stay up late. You need that little caffeine boost. Right? That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Describe Tom Nevenglosky in one word. Awesome. <laughs> I was like, oh, just immediately like dinner like fourteen times. I think <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, fair. All right, I like that. Favorite meal of Wildwood? Oh, uh, I you know probably the seafood boil. That's always really fun. That's like such mm -hmm. a good like communal thing. Uh, but there was a crab cake that was really good that oh, I saw. Yeah, yeah, crab cake hotline. Yeah, crab cake hotline. <laughs> Yeah. I haven't had one this year. Another thing the pandemic has ruined. There's literally a business called Crab Cake Hotline. That is legit the name of the business, which you know you got to respect. I, it's it's yeah. better than any I've had anywhere else. Yeah, I think I agree. Yeah. Uh, also, I think about those sandwiches. As soon as I started thinking about this question, I was like, oh, man, I miss unlimited Jersey subs. <laughs> <laughs> so all of the food, I guess, is top mm -hmm. Yeah. Primo is great. Like the food in Wildwood is great. Yeah. It is really good. It's really good. 
Wouldn't call it gourmet, but we'd call it great. I mean, fair. Yeah. yeah. All right. Weirdest thing you saw Wildwood. Weirdest. <laughs> uh, don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of weird stuff that happens late at night. Uh, I, I saw a couple of things. Uh, I don't know. I feel like as a bartender, it goes against my like deepest code to, to tell anything. <laughs> That's true. I'm yeah. like, I didn't see you him. I don't know you don't need to use names on this. Yeah. I mean, there's always some funny, like, late night romancing happening that you're like, <laughs> yeah. uh, didn't expect kind of out of left field. Yeah. There That's was um, someone missed a car, a taxi. That was kind of fun and sad when all of her friends were drunk and getting in the car and she was they just didn't it. Make it. Didn't yeah. Make it. Well, and they were just all like, no one noticed. <laughs> good friends good that, friends that was like probably one of my top late night back, back to the romance it is funny when you see it like you know everybody's depleted getting on the bus on the way back and there's like certain people cuddling and you're like oh that's interesting all right yeah you know well and sometimes they've been at these things before and you're like was this a pre-existing or did this happen like last night hilarious all right tell us about what's going on in richmond right now uh, you know, we're persevering. We've been lucky. I think people took it kind of seriously out of the gate here. Um, maybe not in the surrounding counties, but in Richmond proper. And we've stayed open the whole time pretty much um, with limited, like doing takeout and stuff. The state's been really, um, you know, overall pretty accommodating. We're doing to-go cocktails. So I think we're all, you know, it was really nice to hear a lot of what Alex said because it's a lot of what we've done and it's like, innovating and and staying positive and it's like the most work i've ever done but like also sometimes the least hours uh, <laughs> like we're you know we're only open sometimes for three or four hours a night and I'm, it's just it's very interesting um but yeah we're all just kind of hanging in there we're doing outdoor dining uh we've been canning cocktails frozen drinks to go just nice. innovating and limiting and yeah very cool Glad yeah. to hear. Eva, anything else to add? Um, oh, go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I think those canning cocktails are super cool. Yeah, it's been really fun. Um, you know, we'd already been like doing carbonated cocktails and kegged cocktails and stuff like that. And this kind of felt like the next step. And I'm such a spritzer lover. So like doing like bubbly light cocktails has been so nice. And we're right next to a big park, which technically they're not supposed to take them over there, but I can't do anything about it. Ah, wink, wink, huh? Yeah, I'm like, here's a straw. <laughs> do what you want with it. <laughs> right, yeah. on. right on. Well, glad you're fighting through it. Um, I think it was interesting to have you guys both on on the same yeah. session. Uh, so just a heads up, next week we have Mark Farrell, founder of 10 to 1 Rum, uh, great brand that literally kind of just launched in the midst of this almost effectively. So he's going to talk about his journey reacting to this as well, uh, which I think will be really interesting. Thanks for joining us. One last plug on the Venmo. Let's get everybody back in here. Alex, Aaron, what's that? Guillaume. Hey, Guillaume. <laughs> he's muted. It's all right. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate it. Uh, Stay, st keep your head up. We'll continue to try and support as much as we can from our side. Let us know what we can do. Awesome.
Thank you all Thanks so much. All. Great, great to see you. <laughs>